Hi, I'm Alicia Atchison. I'm vegan, an animal lover, and animal rights activist. Many people say that becoming vegan is one of the best decisions they have made in life. I'm here to share my guest stories on their choice to live a kind life and what it means for them to be vegan. Welcome to A Kind Life. Today I'm joined by Lynn from Galahad's Animal Sanctuary. How are you going? Hi, hi. Great to meet you. Thank you. Now, as you said before, we jumped on and press record. It's um, been a little while in the making. You were previously suggested as a future guest by one of my guests, Tammy, uh, who is one of your beautiful friends and my tattoo artist. So thank you and, so and much. And mine. Oh, my there tattoo you go. artist too, yes. <laughs> we're, we're very lucky to be connected and know such a beautiful woman and vegan. So thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you. <laughs> There's so many things we could start with, but obviously the biggest component or, you know, part of your life is the sanctuary. So I guess tell us like a little bit about how that began and what your inspiration was to start the sanctuary. Yes. Well, it was a long time ago. So um, I guess I've always been an animal lover um, ever since I can remember. And I think um, a lot of animal lovers idealists in nature. And so they naturally uh, desire a better world for animals. And so I, I went vegetarian when I was about 21 and I was living in London in the late 80s. And I was... Um, totally motivated by my love for animals and wanting to see the end of their daily cruelty, um, poor genetic breeding, captivity as part of, of our um, food process. And basically, you know, animals have always been my best friends. So um, another big influencer when I when I was in England was mad cow disease. So um, cases of the disease in cattle um, continue to rise despite bans on feeding offal to cows. And uh, peaked with 100,000 confirmed cases around 1992. And in an attempt to stop the spread of the disease, a total of 4.4 million cattle were slaughtered during the outbreak and just horrific. And I couldn't get over how um, expendable these sentient beings were and really how unethical the whole mess was. Um, and with seemingly little retribution for those to blame, then on top of that, it spread to people as well. So um, I've now been vegan for many years. And, and I think I realised how cruel the dairy industry was. And I also kind of had the cognition that if your food needs to be rescued and seek sanctuary from people, it should make you think twice about who you're eating. It is an interesting concept, isn't it? You know, I volunteer at a sanctuary as well. As well and, you know, sometimes when people hear rescue, they say, like if you're not totally aware of what goes on in the animal agriculture industry, people sort of say to you, what do you mean rescue? Who are you rescuing them from? And that's a really interesting conversation to a good opener for people to then understand the impact their food choices are having. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, when I get people visit, you know, I'll, I'll sort of say, well, do you know how many eggs a wild chicken will lay in a year? You know, and 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 it can be like around eight compared to these poor chicken that we have that are prisoners trapped in their own bodies that lay eggs every single day and their reproductive systems are just awful. And so how did you go from, I guess, you know, wanting to wanting to help animals to then thinking that you wanted to start a sanctuary? So I guess I wanted to not just talk the talk. I wanted to walk the walk, I think, was my prime motivation in the end. Um, so I, I wanted to provide care for kind of as many animals that as that that I could that had either been injured or were going to be slaughtered or they'd been um, abandoned and I, I just wanted to provide them a forever home so I guess I'm not a 
typical sanctuary in that I don't, I do rehome some animals, but it's not my main purpose. So I, I, I actually consider myself the guardian. So um, many of the animals that have arrived have been um, traumatised and it's taken like a lot of years of nurturing and patience to rehabilitate them uh, just so that they can learn to um, trust humans again and, and just to feel happy and at peace. I've rescued rehabilitated farm animals um, from various circumstances within the food system. So um, cows, sheep, alpacas and chickens. And um, some of those were even born on the way to slaughterhouses or at slaughterhouses. Um, but I've also rescued camels, donkeys and horses, um, including a wild Brumby. He was found in northern Victoria alone with an injury and he was quite young when he was found. Um, and because of that injury, most likely would have been slaughtered. But um, he's just stunning. I love him. And I, I, I kind of see camels and Brumbies as the unloved Australian icons. Um, that I think they really deserve a place in our heritage and our country. So, And then I've also rescued um, dogs over the years, um, mainly wolfhounds. Um, I, I'm really into the gentle giants. Uh, they're just such soulful beings. So um, my last rescue is Joan. She's a wolfhound cross staghound. And when Galahad, who I named my sanctuary after, um, what, he actually had osteosarcoma and he was dying. And um, so I fostered Joan at that time and he just adored her and um, gave him a lot of joy in the last few months of his life. And so um, she ended up in my care as a foster dog and ended up being a total failed foster and staying with me. <laughs> it was pretty predictable. Of course. How many animals now are residents at Galahads? Um, so I have 51. Wow. Yeah. I have, yeah. So I've got like um four camels now, two horses, five cows and steers, seven alpacas, about 18 sheep, chickens, dogs, a couple of donkeys now as well. So, yeah, it's it's kind of grown over the last few years. I um yeah I knew that you had camels I guess yeah for me it's just something I, I wouldn't have even sort of thought about so would you like to share why or how you got involved in in rescue of camels I know I know it was a bit of a shock to me I think I'd always had a bit of a fascination with them ever since I was young actually um um, but they, they really are very large animals. I think I, next size up is kind of giraffes or elephants, really. Yeah. Um, it started when I read in a local newspaper about milkshake and catapult going up for auction just north of me, of where I am. And I kind of went along just in case the doggers were going to be there to, to bid on them. And when I arrived there, I mean, they were really, really affectionate. They were only two years old and it was pretty obvious they were very scared. Um so um, the doggies were bidding, and so I beat their minimum bid. And I realised um, when I got them home that there was a lot more that I really needed to learn about them. So I, I actually went on a, a camel training course um, in the desert. I trained a wild horse, uh, a wild camel in the desert um, with one of my friends. He's a real camel enthusiast, Russell, and um, he came back here and he helped me doing. Uh, further training with milkshake and catapult as well. I've also taken in um, a, a dairy camel, um, Harley Quinn. Um, she was a she came from a camel dairy business that was shutting down, and two hundred and forty camels went to auction. 
So, but they actually contacted me in advance and said, um, if she asked if she could come to me, which was really, really kind, and they drove her to me as well. So um, they were actually very fond of her and they were worried about her. As, um, she's a really people camel. She's very affectionate. So she has strong social needs. So And plus she's a smaller camel, so she probably wouldn't have fared well at an, at an auction. So And then I've also rescued a baby camel, Phoenix. He was a roadside attraction at a petrol station. He came in a terrible condition. And he is unbelievably cute. <clears throat> I mean, you really do melt when you see him, and he has three sets of eyelashes that you just die for. Um, so I, I guess getting back to why camels, um, camels, I guess, have they're quite overwhelming. They, they have quite a frightening appearance, but they are very, very emotional and loyal animals, and they're very <clears throat> inquisitive, affectionate, and probably more attention-seeking than a horse. So I kind of learnt about that Australia has the largest population of camels and the only herd of dromedary one-hump camels exhibiting wild behaviour in the world. And unfortunately, our government allows wild camel culls and um, they use helicopters and motorbikes, horse riding and coach camels so that wild camels are driven to a set of yards where they're trapped and unable to escape, um, a practice referred to as mustering. And following capture, camels are commonly sold off to abattoirs to be killed for meat. And horrifically, in some instances, they're shot in the yards watching on as their friends are killed before them. And so the stress and terror of mustering and contact with humans can lead to a number of really devastating outcomes for camels, um, feeding disruption, abortion in heavily pregnant females, and social disruption are just some of the issues inherent in this industry. And a lot of them are, are sold for live export overseas as well. And um, just because they are so particularly sensitive and um, loyal, I, I just find they deserve kindness and compassion and not these ex not the extreme stress of live export and fully conscious slaughtering countries that really have no animal welfare laws at all. So Catapult, my male, he was very traumatised by his treatment and it's taken several years of training and patience just to allow human touch. touch. When we first started um, trying to touch him or stroke him, he would run away and if we tied, up, tied him up and tried to stroke his face, he would kick and cry and have diarrhoea. I mean, there really was no enjoyment in being around people for him at all. And um, he's so much better now. Um, he comes running for carrots and gives me a kiss every night that I feed him. I've got a little video that um, you can play. I'll, I'll attach a link that you can play that shows him going through the process of being desensitised to touch and just crying. It's, it's quite moving. I think, you know, like a lot of us wouldn't, yeah, have known. I mean, I never knew that there's this whole program that the government, you know, has to, you know, capture and cull. That's horrific. And it's not something that we would commonly be aware of or know that goes on. And for, yeah, it would have been shocking for you. Yeah, that's right. And I think a lot of people don't realise, you know, how common it is to have camel meat as well and, and camel dairy farms as well. Yeah, when you said dairy, I thought, yeah, that was not even on my radar. Yeah, that's right. That's is that right. is that consumed mostly in Australia or is it for export? I imagine it's both, but mm. I, I, I'm not really sure of all the details. Yeah, yeah, well, uh, I'm just imagining you having gone to the to the auction 
to bid on catapult and thinking like how were you prepared how did you get him home like I'm just thinking how did you even <laughs> transport there's just a logistical nightmare there I took this puny little trailer and I looked at the trailer and went no that's just not going to do the job and so I, I rang like so many horse moving and trucking companies and in the end I, I I rang a slaughterhouse and they sent me one of their um one of their truckers and trucks they were obviously very used to handling camels, so they um, they got the camel in the truck for me and got it home. And then I looked at my fencing and went, oh, my gosh, this isn't going to do either. So we had to do major kind of um, electric fencing and things. <laughs> oh, my gosh, you're a steep, steep learning curve for yourself. It was enormous, yeah. <laughs> oh and then there's all, all the things like... Um, Camels, because they come from the desert, they don't really have any propensity to cope with um, parasites or worms because there are none in the desert. So you have to do regular fecal tests and you, you have to, you know, obviously worm them regularly because their worm count cannot get high and you have to keep them separate from other animals. And then there's all these special minerals that they've got to have and they've got to have a lot of salt every day, just all kinds of things that, you know. Luckily, I'm, I'm in a kind of camel world. Uh, online and I'm getting a lot of fantastic advice from people. I was going to say you're a bit of an expert now. <laughs> getting there. I'm sure there's so much I've got to learn though. <laughs> I think I think it's a good thing we're all constantly learning. Yes, yeah. <laughs> and, so, and so your sanctuary is open to the public, like you have tours and other ways that people can get involved? Yes, yes, that's right. So people can come for and, and stay in my B&B. Um, they can also um, come for tours, mostly on the weekend because I work full-time as well. And they, you know, really, I mean, if, if they want to hold any events here or have picnics here, um, things like that, yeah, I get quite a lot of um, inquiries for visitors, so it's been great. I've had um, some lovely visits lately. I always put them up on TikTok. So good. And I'm guessing a big part of it is that, you know, you're able to educate people who may not be aware of some of the issues that affect all the different animals that are on site. Yes, that's right. So um, I think a, a lot of people, when, when they arrive and they, they kind of meet all of the animals and you kind of tell them the stories, the, 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 they're their own ambassadors, really. They, they, their stories are really kind of what changes a lot of people. And I, a lot of people that have visited and either stayed with me have become, in the end, vegetarian or vegan. They just weren't aware of what's involved in the animal ag agriculture. So um, that's always been really, really wonderful as well. Yeah. And do you have like volunteer op opportunities for people if they do live locally and wanted to, you know, help out on a more regular basis? Yes. So I do have um, some people that volunteer. Again, because I kind of have to supervise, it's a bit hard for me during the week. So it's mainly on the weekend. I also do working bees. Probably Obviously, you know, the, the day cleanup and the nurturing of the animals and help with training of the animals is really, really fantastic. And, you know, I couldn't live without that. But there's there's other things like um, um, organising events or writing grants or um, 
fundraising, uh, helping me with social media, or um, I need help with um, business partnerships as well and getting the sanctuary more out in people's minds and raising our profile in TV and newspapers or radio, just, just all these different things that I'm so stretched to be able to do. Um, if anyone has any skills like that, it would be fantastic. And I'm guessing, you know, you did mention before that you do work full time. So it would be yeah, a big juggling act for you to be able to, you know, fit in everything, your work, even trying to have some downtime yourself. How do you, yeah, how do you manage all of this? I don't have it. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I basically do two full time jobs. Um, so it's fairly full on. I sometimes get a, um, the odd trip to the beach with the dogs or something like that. But, yeah, I haven't had a holiday in like seven years. So um, it's something I would like to work on and change. But, you know, in creating something like this, I, I realised that there was going to be many years of, of um, hard work initially as well. So, um, but, you know, in, in saying that too, I feel so lucky every day that, you know, I, I get kind of... <clears throat> To, to, to have this you know I, I've often said laughed and and sort of said you know if I, if if I was going to go on holiday I'd probably go to um, Africa on safari and hang out with more animals anyway and so I'm kind of living my holiday every day <laughs> that's very true yeah I, I completely understand and you know I'm guessing that the sanctuary you did mention you know hoping to be able to in the future have someone that helps you with grants but I'm guessing more generally the sanctuary is probably you know mostly funded through donations is that right? No no really it's funded pretty much um, totally by my salary so yes I think um, I do have a sponsorship page now and I do get donations which are fantastic and I have this kindness gang um, where people just donate $10 a month and they can come and visit the animals whenever I'm around themselves just to see check on their progress and know where their money's going so I do have a few things like that but these are all things that I really need to build up and they are slowly building up little bit by little bit but really everything um relies on on my salary and sort of anything that I get from the B&B and um, tours, events, camping or uh, fundraisers. Yeah, okay. And is that, have you got anything coming up, any events coming up that, you know, people can come along to get involved with? Yes. So um, I've got a fundraiser coming up actually. It's coming up at the Veggie Tribe in Melbourne Central on Saturday the 7th of October and it's going to be at 2pm. And I've got a link on my website and social media pages and it's going to be an afternoon of fun, food and live music. So we're going to have um, a silent auction on several incredible framed photographs of the animals from the sanctuary from a fantastic professional photographer, as well as artwork, hopefully from Tammy. Mm -hmm. um, there's going to be door prizes for the lucky ones as well as an entertaining raffle and anticipation of some amazing prizes. So... Um, it should be a fun afternoon. Will you be able to attend or will you be too busy at the sanctuary? Oh, no, I'll be attending. And, and the um, the tickets on the door also mean that you can come for a tour of the sanctuary and meet all of the animals as well. Oh, amazing. That sounds fantastic. We'll make sure we put a link, <laughs> link in the show notes as well for the event. Yeah, yeah, that'd be great. Thank you. 
I'm guessing that, you know, there's probably lots of challenges in running the sanctuary and, you know, potentially, you know, some concerns and things like how, I guess, yeah, how do you sort of try and manage those or deal with those knowing that you you obviously have the best of intentions for wanting to help animals? Yes. So um, it's certainly been quite hard over the last few years financially, um, just because the financial climate at the moment is very difficult for everyone. Um, so without my full-time job, we wouldn't stay afloat. So that's always on my mind. And so I certainly do need some further financial aid, aid and, and fundraising help. Um, I would love for the sanctuary really to support itself without my salary. So, and I'd love to employ people to assist me and I'd love to save more animals. I mean, that's, that's the dream. So I'd like to make it more of a sustainable entity. Mm, yeah. There's so many challenges, isn't there, to balancing yeah. everything and, you know, it is you, you've got the best of intentions and you're doing it for the right reason, but it's not always an easy journey. So it's definitely no. you're doing a fantastic job. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and so you mentioned um, earlier, it's sort of at the start of the, our podcast interview that, you know, you were vegetarian and then became vegan. I guess we sort of skipped over like what made you go from vegetarian to vegan, what that sort of transition was. Yeah, I guess um, ignorance on my part. So I think um, back in the 80s, going vegetarian seemed, you know, seemed to be kind of, it was just looked on back then as the way to do it. And I think it's kind of over the last few decades that veganism, you know, I think more and more information came out about the dairy industry and about eggs um, and their production that um, made people aware that just going vegetarian really doesn't cut it, you know. So um, <clears throat> that's when I went, okay, you know, I've, I've, this has obviously been an ethical choice and if it's an ethical choice, then I've got to make the right choice. Yeah. And how was that transition for you? Like were people in your life supportive? Did you find it challenging or quite easy? Um, so in the 80s in Australia, it's a nightmare. There was just no um, vegetarian or vegan options anywhere. So I moved to London <laughs> and they were everywhere. It was fantastic there. And and they, they have a big culture of vegetarian and veganism in London. So that was quite easy and very, very supportive. I moved back to Australia again <clears throat> around 2000. And it, it had radically improved from the 80s. So, yeah, I, I found that okay. Probably, I mean, I know a lot of people have said it's very hard to give up vegan, um, to give up cheese or dairy products. But now with Bon Soy and all of the vegan cheeses that are out, it's just so incredibly easy. Um, yeah. yeah, I don't I have anything that I miss. And so did you go, I guess, I'm just intrigued to understand, did you go from this wild sort of jump of being vegan and then going into sanctuary life? Or did you do sort of any kind of, I guess, like activism or anything in between before, yeah, diving in headfirst? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I've I've always had my foot in activism. So I've always gone to a lot of marches, a lot of protests. Um, I've always been an online <laughs> warrior keyboard activist as well um government petitions all kinds of things like that um just wherever i could so i've always had <clears throat> those beliefs and those interests all the way through so yes it wasn't such a big 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 leap but um 
yeah yeah I think it's it's get, doing a sanctuary though it's just pushed it like way way more <laughs> I actually did mean to ask you how, how long ago did you start Galahads seven seven years Oh, wow. Yeah, and I started it not as a sanctuary. I, you know, I just decided I was just going to rescue animals. So I contacted Pam and I um, adopted five sheep from Edgar's Mission and then I adopted four of their alpacas as well. And that's what started me. And and then it just kind of grew and grew and grew from there. So would you say are you still sort of, um, yeah, like your doors open, so to speak, or are they like closed? How does that work for you in terms of if you're approached by others for animals? Yeah. Well, um, in March this year, I just did um, another big rescue and I rescued the baby camel, two donkeys, three sheep and two ponies. And um, they were a roadside attraction at a petrol station in King Lake. Um, the condition was not good. Uh, the paddock wasn't that great. There was broken glass and, and rubbish in the paddock and contaminated water. They were all fed one feed source and none of it appropriate for their breeds. Um, and they certainly had no training and none of them were desexed. And, you know, that we were meant to also rescue a couple of alpacas and they actually died just before we got there. So that was very sad. Um, so there are, they have been my last rescue, which kind of did push things for me, for sure. Um, not only financially, but obviously I have to, I'm the one that feeds them and, and looks after them every day. So there's only so much time that I can put into doing that. So, um, so I'd say for the moment, I can't take on many more big, um, lots of animals like that. I can probably take some to rehome or, um, I could probably take some more in the future. Um, but for now, until I get more permanent help, I think um, I'll just stay around this size. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is the challenge, isn't it, of wanting to, you always it want is, to try you and really do more? Have, you have to balance up to your responsibility to the animals that you already have. And I don't, don't want to jeopardise their lives by taking in more and then... Um, overwhelming myself with it all financially or physically or mentally so yeah yeah and so I guess like what would you say I know that you did mention before that obviously being able to be in the presence of animals and you know just walking outside your door is probably you know one of the many things that brings you joy but I guess yeah are there other things outside of the sanctuary or that yeah just bring that happiness into your life I really have always loved connecting um, people and animals together. Um, I guess for me personally, I couldn't live without having them around me. Um, I find them amazing teachers and really, really rewarding to be around. And um, they kind of have a grasp on what's really important in life. Um, they simplify you to the truth and they remind you of who you are and they provide love unconditionally and they make you laugh constantly um, and then plus they constantly keep you on your toes. So I really love sharing that when people come and stay in my B&B, you know, I, I love watching their enjoyment with the animals and a lot of my animals are free roaming and they just get to come out there and hang out with them. So it's really rewarding to watch that and it's really rewarding to watch them um, put put things together as well, you know. A, a lot of people don't expect sheep 
to be affectionate and want cuddles and want to be brushed and want to be hand fed, you know. Um, they're just not used to that kind of interaction with sheep whatsoever, as well as all the other animals that I have here too. So um, I guess for me, the true magic in our world is essentially the higher understanding of nature. And I really love sharing that magic. Yeah, it's so special. There'd be some incredible experiences that people have had, yeah. you know both at the sanctuary yeah. while staying overnight. And like you said, some people may never have had the opportunity to spend time with animals. No, that's right. That's right. Yeah. I love just hanging out with them, to be honest. So, yeah. you know, yeah. I get a lot of joy just watching them running around and playing and living out their daily lives, you know. So, um, yeah, I just think it's really important that they have that life. You know, any creature under the sun should have that life. So, yeah. yeah. You know, do you have any plans for what's next or what you're working on that you would like to share? It's pretty much what I've said is that I, um, I've accomplished quite a lot in the last few years and I've pulled some really beautiful and supportive people into my life. So I'm going to carry on with that. And I'd like to look into business partnerships and social media and different different tacks like that to be able to make me more of a financial sustainable kind of entity. And then, you know, then hopefully down the road that, I would like to build on that and and rescue more animals. So um, that's kind of that's kind of what I'm working on. Yeah. And did you have? I guess I know that you have so many animals. You said they're fifty one. Was it fifty one? Yes. Yeah. Is there any other rescue stories or individual stories that you did want to share that we might have sort of missed? Because I'm guessing everyone has such a beautiful story. Yeah, they all do. They all do. Yeah, I've got all of their stories actually on my um, website um, under uh, my stories and um, every single one of them has an incredible story. Like um, there's there's Bryce, he was born, he's, he's a very affectionate sheep and he was born on the way to a slaughterhouse. So, and he was taken in by an animal activist and she raised him inside with um, uh, bottles and nappies with her dog. And so um, I think he became so used to the dogs and her and everything that when she, she realised he had to go to a sanctuary in the end and she contacted me and asked if I could take him. So integrating him with sheep was quite difficult because he um, he was such a people sheep. He he. So I had to I had to leave him. They were kind of all around my house at that stage, and they'd sleep on my balcony. And so he would always be barring in in the in the uh, front door through the window at me, trying to get in. <laughs> so so gorgeous, very sweet. Aww. And if anyone does want to get in touch, like obviously you've mentioned some of the great things, your event coming up, your B&B, the website, I can link those in the show notes. But what's the best way for people to get in contact with you? So um, my email it is on my um, website. So either via email or um, I think probably my phone number is on there as well. So um, that's probably the best way for people to get in contact with me. Yeah. And is there anything that, you know, we might have missed? I know we've, we've, there's a lot to cover because you, you know, you've got such incredible stories of what you've done, <laughs> but is there anything that we might have missed that you wanted to cover on the podcast? No, probably. Um, I do have one other favorite quote that I could share with you that I think um, this one really moved me and I, I find it very, very profound. 
and that is um, be kind to every kind, um, which is what I've got on my website. But the other one that that I was just mentioning is sit with the animals quietly and they will show you their hearts. Sit with them kindly and they will help you locate yours. I just mm. find that so deep. So. Absolutely. Yeah, I've seen that one before and I love it. It's very, very mm. touching, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And so true. So true. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Lynn. It's been an incredible opportunity to learn more about yourself, like personally, but also, you know, what you're doing there at the sanctuary. And I really hope that there's some listeners that will be able to support you, whether it be by coming and staying at the B&B or whether they might have some social media skills or, you know, help with sponsorship, business pro- uh, partners. Like, you know, we all, and that's something I think that's really great is that we all have a different way that we can help. Like we might have different yeah. skills in, in different areas. Right. And so it's yeah. great to be able to share them. Yeah. Or even just, like I said, the kindness gang, you know, um, just $10 a month. And yeah. um, you're most welcome to come and visit. You know. amazing oh well thank you so much i have i'm not i'm probably sure tammy's probably said to you it's been on uh on our list for a little while that we wanted to be able to come <laughs> together so <laughs> ah yeah fantastic yeah I'd love and that. also I'd love as well that. one of my one of my good friends karen she regularly volunteers there and she's always also oh, been- karen yes <laughs> i know she i wouldn't yeah. live without karen every sunday she comes and she picks up so much poo, cleans all the chicken coops for me, helps me roll out all the hay bales for the cows for the week. She's incredible. She sure is. She's a hard worker, <laughs> beautiful human. And, um, she, Such she's a dynamo. Told, she's told me so many stories about Bryce, but I obviously didn't know his rescue ah, story. Yes, I know. I was going to mention Karen, actually, when I talk, told that story. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because she has told me before he loves to be brushed and he's quite cheeky. I've seen him in few of her photos, head right over her shoulder. and I know. I know she loves him. <laughs> oh, well, thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure. I'm very grateful, and like I said, I um look forward to coming and visiting because yeah, it sounds just so incredible. Thank you so much. I'd love that. Thank you. Thank Thanks, you, Lynn. See you. Bye. Thanks for joining us today. I would love to hear from you if you've been inspired by this episode, or if you have any requests for future episodes. You can find me on Instagram at a kind life. Remember, be kind to your body kind to animals and kind to our planet. Take care.